Our scripture lesson this morning is found in Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel 17. And as you're finding your way and then the scripture that you have before us, I, I do believe that holy moly guacamole will be trending on Twitter by the end of uh, this day. So if you tweet, go ahead and hashtag holy moly guacamole, Wake Forest Church of the Nazarene, and, and, and I think that'll, uh, that'll have some likes for us, uh, the <laughs> praises of children. Um, there are some uh, the technical difficulties. I don't know if you can see that on your screen. If, if, if I look like I'm jumping around, just know that's actually how I'm moving today. And I'm just kind of staccatoed and, and uh, didn't, I don't know. First Samuel chapter 17. I guess that's my way of saying thank you for, for bearing with us in the midst of uh, uh, things when they don't work out as well, we hope. Uh, we're going to begin reading in the 32nd verse, verse 32, a very familiar passage of scripture. Hear now the word of the Lord. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go out against this Philistine to fight him, for you are just a boy and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and it, uh, and it took one of the lambs from the flock, I went out after it and I struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the Lord, the living God. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David in his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and he tried in vain to walk for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I am not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch. His sling was in his hand and he drew near to this Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David and his gods, by his gods. The Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This very day, the Lord will deliver you to, into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine armies this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by the sword or by the spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. 
When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. To God. There were giants in the land, out there walking in the morning light. Over across the valley, as the sun was just beginning to rise, their monstrous shape took form. There were giants in the land, huge and menacing, dominating the horizon. There were giants, and all of the soldiers and the children of Israel's army shook and trembled. Goliath was his name. And he breathed out threats and curses against the God of the Hebrews. He stomped about parading his giant sword and his giant shield and his giant spear. And he challenged the ranks of the Israelites, saying, come on out and fight me if you're man enough. The, the spies had tried to warn them. All those years ago, fresh out of Egyptian slavery, the young nation had marched across the wilderness right up to the edge of the Jordan River, and they sent 12 spies into the land to find out what was on the other side. And the spies came back and they tried to warn them. They said, there's giants up in them there hills. Wise from years and weathered by battle, the old spies said, we are like grasshoppers to them. And the people listened. Numbers chapter 14 tells that the whole congregation of Israel raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. That could have been the end of it. Except for stupid Caleb and Joshua. They had to open their big mouths. They just couldn't leave well enough alone. They agreed that there were giants out there. But they had the gall to say, we can take them. And the people in their fear-soaked place were angered by this word. They called out against Joshua and Caleb, and they wanted to take up stones to throw at them. And maybe it would have been better if they had actually taken up this threat. Because here the people are in the valley of Elah staring down the blasphemous throat of a real, live giant. My first giant came in the form of a, a corkscrew slide in the Hardy's playground. My The taunts from my older sister and mother there at the bottom, insisting that it was safe to launch out. I distinctly remember sitting there atop that slide as a four-year-old and looking out and not being able to see where it went. And I was terrified. Who knows where those corkscrews landed? I know when I'm on the ground, I could see it there. But by the time I climbed up the stairs and sat on the perch, I had no idea what kind of bottomless pit I was going into. Childhood is full of giants. Giant uh, adults towering over you. Giant rules that you don't understand. Giant hurts 
that you think will never end. But unfortunately, the giants don't stay in the playgrounds of our past. They, they follow and pursue. They stomp and parade throughout our lives. We look out today in our place, in our lives, and we still see giants in the land. Right now, we face giants of unemployment and debt, giants of cancer and depression. Poverty grows as our forests shrink. The unborn are destroyed even as the old are forgotten. The pandemic, which finally at long last seems to have crested and maybe even begin to fall, has still claimed lives and destroyed communities. There are giants in our land. They lurk behind the closed house doors of our homes. Marriages that are strained. Uh, children that, that we just don't know what to do with anymore. Parents in declining health. There are giants in the land, and some of them exist just behind the veil of our closed eyes, hiding deep in our minds, telling us that we're not good enough, crushing our souls behind the unbearable weight of mental illness. There are giants in the land. We like to comfort ourselves with, with the myth of progress, believing that everything is getting better. And yet, today, in our world, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, women will still call places of violence and abuse home. Drugs will, will take hold of communities and neighborhoods. Children will go to bed tonight hungry, and our prisons are full to bursting. There are giants in the land. We see them here in our own faith community at Wake Forest, standing between us and our future. And we hear their taunting cries. It's just too hard. It's too far out. It's too long to get there. We hear them challenging out to us, oh, our church is too old and our backs are too sore. We won't make it through the pandemic, they say. We're on life support already, and the clock is counting down. There are giants in the land. And those giants stand towering above our pedestrian lives, and we are like crickets. They steal our imaginations, and they crush down our hopes, and they speak blasphemous words against our future. And we throw up our hands before the battle even begins, because what can you do about a giant? As a child of four, on tops of that corkscrew, I didn't move. I was frozen in fear. I was thinking this week that wouldn't it be nice if life had the same kind of logic and rules that, that had in the movies? You know, when you're watching a movie, it tells you when you're supposed to be afraid. Hints are given along the way. The, the music changes. The lights dim. It's usually raining. And you know you're supposed to, to quake and be terrified. Wouldn't it be great if, if life, real life, just, just let you know that happened? Your boss calls you into the office, and, and as you walk by, a light bulb goes out. 
you start to head out to get your mail and you hear that dun-um, dun-um, begin to, to grow louder as you approach. And see, in life, there's often no warnings. There's rarely a time to prepare. The letter comes. The, the doctor walks in. The meeting is called. There's no warning. There's no forethought. It just happens. The giant appears and your life is changed. Saul and all the armies of Israel were afraid. The Hebrew word there is actually that they were being broken apart. They were shattered and terrified. My grandmother would have said they have all gone to pieces. They stood in the safety of their camp and shook in their armor. It wasn't just a giant that they saw across, across the plain of Elah. It was defeat and death. It, it, it was the end of all of the promises. It was the unknown that comes when you take on an enemy that can't be fathomed. It was the uncertainty of looking forward into a hidden future that was dark and cloudy. Oh, they had planned for the battle. They had, they had counted the cost and, and, and rallied the troops. They had sharpened their swords and surveyed the supply lines. But how do you plan for a giant? What steps do you take to psych yourself up for a battle with the unstoppable? And, and that kind of is that place where Samuel telling the story leaves us. The army encamped against army. Goliath standing out there in the middle. The Philistines content to let their giant do their word, dirty work. The Israelites catatonic with fear. When all of a sudden, without warning, in walks David, packed lunches in hand. There had been this uneasy truth. And it just might have gone on like that for months if they hadn't, if it hadn't been for a certain loudmouth kid. Leave it to the little brother to rile up everything and, and make a, a calm situation so much worse. I think that's the, the moral from the six seasons of Leave it the Beaver. Wally is out there doing whatever, is doing something, and all of a sudden the beef shows up and it messes up. Everything. David, fresh from the sheep herds, walks into camp and he starts running off his mouth in the way that only a little brother can. Why doesn't somebody go out there and shut that big old bully up? Either David was really annoying or the camp was just really intense. Because in four short verses, David goes from carrying packed lunches to finds himself standing before the king. You know you've done something bad when you get to brought before the king in four verses. It's like going to the principal's office on the second day of school. But right there in the middle of the royal court, surrounded by the king on his throne and all of his attendees, David doesn't back down. In fact, if anything, he, he kicks it up a notch. From rhetorical questionings at the beginning to outright volunteering. The contrast between the two figures in that room is starking, striking. Here is, is King Saul, 
ruler of all of Israel, and he is frozen with fear. Here is the little shepherd boy, David, on the move, marching and going. The army of Israel have ranked, have all gone to pieces. The delivery boy is holding it together. The mighty soldiers are forgetting their training. The kid with the sling is remembering the God he serves. Many of you have heard and known this story since childhood. The, the bulky armor fitted on and quickly left behind. The blasphemous words spoken on the valley. The five smooth stones, those haunting words, the Lord does not save by the sword and the spear, and the giant falls. One day, Jesus took a nap in a boat. It had been a busy day. He had preached and, and had eight full hours of teaching and, and working and apparently all the toil from that day had taken a toll on him. And Luke tells us that his disciples just took him as he was. The schedule had been demanding. There had been no time to, to freshen up before travels. There were deadlines to meet and conferences to attend. He was supposed to speak the next day at the Gassinarines. And so he went right there in the boat and took a little nap. And while he was asleep, a storm rose all around them. We can gather from the disciples' response that it was a bad one. For in that moment, all of those fishermen forgot their training, and they rush to Jesus, having spent their lifetime upon the waters, not to ask him for help, not to, to tell them that they had a problem, but to accuse him. Do you not care that we're perishing? The Lord stands up. He rubs the sleep out of his eyes. And he rebukes the storm with a single word. Then the wind ceased, and the sea was like dead calm. And Jesus turns, and he looks at that sopping wet mess of a church, and he says, Have you still no faith? Beloved, there are giants in the land out in front of you, waiting just in that morning light. You have seen them out on the edge of the horizon. There are giants in the land, and they stand between you and all of the stuff you had hoped for in life. And there they are with their giant spears and their giant helmets and their giant swords, and they have closed off your future, and they threaten to pull you down and break you off. Here is the gospel this day. Those giants can fall. Whatever their name, whatever their size, whatever their ferocious words, those giants can fall. But they don't fall by the strength of our army or by the depth of our bank account. They don't fall because of the giftedness of our leaders or the brilliance of our strategies. They don't fall because the insights of science or the stability of our boards. It wasn't in the stone that David threw. It wasn't in the word that Jesus spoke. 
It was the living God who is bigger than the giants, who is above the storms, who reigns and lives in our lives that brings the victory. And that God still is alive and is still in our midst. And there is Jesus' words, waiting to conquer the storm, still the storms and conquer the giants, asking us if you still have the faith. I want you to do something for me today. I want you to find a, a time and, and go outside, maybe to a stream, maybe just to your garden. And I want you to find a stone, rough and hard, smooth and textured, whatever stone you find. I want you to pick that stone up and have a moment of prayer before God to claim that in that stone, not in that stone, not in the strength of your arm, but by the power of the living God that dwells within us, we will have faith. And we will trust that no matter what the giant before us is, God will bring about the victory. Let us pray together. And now, Lord, your Christ, I pray that whatever storm, whatever giant lies before my people this day, might your word of power and trust, might your word of stability and strength come before us. And might we trust in you to deliver and to save. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.